0: It's very strange to be here without my family. This is my first time in this church. Uh, are there any first timers here this morning? Anybody who's never been here before? I guess it's just me. Well, instead of me welcoming you, you can welcome me. See, see an usher. See an usher. <laughs> Only the ushers can welcome. Only the ushers can welcome people in this church. I'll have to remember that. You get, a free gift. you get a free gift? Oh, I'll see an usher. Carl, where are you? Where'd Carl go? He's here somewhere. I'm in such an embarrassment to my daughter-in-law. She calls me mother-in-law. I call her daughter. Pretty much sums up the relationship. (laughs) I have known Heidi since she was 12 years old. I knew her before my son did. See me later if you want more information. (laughs) She surprised me this morning. She put this little green sheet in here that says all this stuff about me. I think I wrote this for my retirement. I didn't know she had a copy, nor that she would put it in the bulletin. Now, perhaps you know that Heidi is... uh, the daughter-in-law of two pastors, my husband and me. Anybody know that? Yes, yeah, so that makes three. <laughs> my father-in-law is a pastor. <laughs> She's visiting him right now. We should have prayed for him because three days ago he fell at home and um, fell on his shoulder and broke his clavicle. I do have plenty of time this morning, don't I? I was told it was, I could preach for an hour. Yeah. Oh okay. By the way, you sing beautifully. You do. You do. Malik, he sings. And you play so well. You rock. Yeah. You're so fortunate to have him. Everybody should sit up here to hear this gentleman sing. Seriously. Well, not only are there four living Reverend Welches, that's why my name tag says Peg, if you call me Reverend Welch, it would be very confusing, right? But Heidi is the fifth generation in our family. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later, because the surprising thing is that it's on the Indian side of the family, not the American side. Strange, huh? My husband's grandfather was the dean of a seminary in India, and both of his great-grandfathers were pastors in India. Now, in our family, we use a lot of Hindi. I'm starting to teach the grandkids some... The one they know for sure is which means give me a kiss. It's the only way I can get them to kiss me is to say it in Hindi. Anybody know Corey Welch? I assume that along with the other little girl, she dominates children's time. Does anybody? Jenny, do you get a word in when she's here? And then there's Joseph, right? He's a miniature Russ. If you you know my son, Rasul, that's what he looked like a whole lot of years ago. The phrase I've just started teaching them is ajal. Very simple two-word phrase, right? It sort of means, let's go. Literally, it means, come, go. So, sort of, come, let's go. There are a lot of phrases in Hindi that are opposites together. It seems to make it more powerful when they are opposites together. So, adja, come, let's go. But we're not going to go back to 1870 when my husband's Great grandfathers were pastors. We're going back 2,000 years. Soon after Jesus' death, when he first gave what is called the Great Commission go into all the world. Adele, come, let's go. There's a story told that the disciples really wanted to fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world. Now, this is a story, it's not found in the Bible, but there is often great truth in stories, especially stories that are based in truth, as this one is. And the story told is that the disciples didn't know who should go where, so they decided to cast lots to figure out who was going where. And the lot fell to Thomas to go to India. And we actually know that he did that. There's a Martoma church in South India that was started 2,000 years ago. The Europeans, when they finally got to India, were surprised to find Christians already there that had been there much longer than the Christian church has existed in North America. The lot fell to John to go to what is now Turkey, we know that because he wrote the book of Revelation and addressed seven churches that are in that region. And others went to North Africa. They founded monastic communities. They spread through all the world, all the known world at that time. And so Christianity has existed in many parts of the world for 2,000 years. 1900, give or take. But for a millennium, we didn't really know about the spread of Christianity. Not until the printing press. Not until some communications started, especially telegraphs and not until there were international wars. Especially on this continent, we were pretty much isolated. Oh, people migrated here from Europe, from Asia, from South America, but they lived in their own small cultures often, and we weren't very much aware of world culture until the Doughboys came back from World War I. You know, there was that song, How You Gonna Keep Them Down on the Farm After They've Seen Paris? Well, it was a mass deployment of people to another continent who had never seen anything outside of their hometowns for the most part. And they came back talking about all these other nations. And in response, perhaps... In 1936, a Presbyterian church had what was called World Communion Sunday. Perhaps, in my imagination, all the people who were left at home during World War I wanted to know more about the world than they'd ever known before because they'd had glimpses of it from the letters that they received and from the tales that were told when the soldiers came home. Well, the bright idea that Presbyterian church had spread throughout the Presbyterian church, and then what was then called the FCC, the Federal Council of Churches, which later became the National Council of Churches, adopted this thing called World Communion Sunday. And it spread throughout other denominations, Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists, Episcopalians and others all celebrating the concept that we are a global community it's i think it's interesting that they chose the concept of communion to celebrate our oneness communion means with unity and with all the things that divide us Celebrating communion is something that unites us. We don't all practice it the same way. Heaven forbid that Christians could really agree on much of anything. But doing what Jesus said to do is something that unites us. Baptism was more divisive. But we all also pretty much do that. So throughout the world today and and every first Sunday of October, we celebrate World Communion Sunday. Soon after that first World Communion Sunday in the 30s, in the 40s, the Methodist Church, because the United Methodist Church didn't exist yet, but the Methodist Church started a program called the Crusade Scholarship. And My husband's grandfather was in the first group of foreign nationals to receive a crusade scholarship from the North American church. Because you see, in all the coming and going, and the going to do mission in other places, we had realized a couple of important things. You never do missionary service or ministry without being transformed more yourself than you transform others. And another important thing we learned is that somebody who speaks the language and knows the culture can do a whole lot better job of it than somebody coming in from the outside. So we did a smart thing and we created this scholarship and Dadaji, as we call him, called him, he's long since gone, came here and he studied and he went back and he became dean of a seminary. Many, many years later, I guess 40 years later, his grandson, my husband, received that same scholarship to go to seminary. And still today, We are providing crusade scholarships, as well as other kinds of ethnic scholarships. And today, there's an envelope in your bulletin for that particular scholarship that we provide. It's changed a little bit. World Communion Sunday has changed a little bit from its onset. Sometimes we forget we're a global community. Long before there was what we call a world economy, long before there was what we call a world market, there was a world church, a global church, spanning the globe. And we have much to learn from going and coming. I said earlier that there's a lot that divides us regarding communion and there is for a year before going as a missionary to as missionaries to india my husband and i studied in england at kingsmead college which was a methodist training school for missionaries and we were lay people at that time going in the field of special education and i didn't know at that time all the things that divide us as Christians regarding communion. There were arguments because Kingsmead was one of eight colleges in a consortium with a Lutheran college, two Anglicans because they don't even talk to one another. So there was high church Anglican college and the low church Anglican college and a Quaker college and a Baptist college. Actually, there were two Baptist colleges because they don't talk to one another either. And there were all these arguments about communion when ministers got together. Who should be allowed to receive it? Certainly not children. Perhaps not members of your own denomination. Maybe, maybe in some places, you don't even let people who aren't members of your congregation take communion. And should you take it sitting, standing, or kneeling? And should it be grape juice or wine or both? And do you get a little bit of bread or a whole big chunk? Or should it be one of those flat wafers? I had a professor in seminary who said the only thing you can say about grape juice and a flat rice wafer is this is not wine and this is not bread. I learned there were a lot of things dividing us. And then there were the Roman Catholics whose theology of communion was different than the Methodist theology of communion. And in the midst of all of that, we were there for a year, and we had a young son. He was two when we got there, three by the time New Year's rolled around, and we were at the principal's house for a New Year's Eve party. Now, our son had been in chapel every weekday and in worship on Sundays with us. So six days a week he was in church. Who here resents their parents making them go to church once a week? Okay, so he'd learned a lot. And... He was the only kid at this party. We were the only lay people. It was all clergy. Those people are serious. And all of a sudden, the room got quiet. What does a mother do when the room gets quiet? She looks for her kid, right? He was under the coffee table with a bowl of goldfish crackers. Okay, so I... I It was was okay, he wasn't hurting anybody, he wasn't going to get too sick, even if he ate all the goldfish crackers. It was all right. And then things went back to normal. And then the room got silent again. And I looked around. Could I have a visual aid, please? And little Rasul, anybody met my son? He was three, and he was standing there with his favorite person in the world, the right reverend Archbishop Patrick Kalalombe, Roman Catholic Bishop of Malawi. And Russ loved Patrick because Patrick had a wide smile that would light up the world and he told great stories. So this African bishop was standing there with our son and Russ said to him, Patrick, do this. Well, no, Patrick didn't do it. (laughs) He looked down at him and he said, what? And Russ. piped up again. Patrick, do this. And he still didn't do it. Well Rasul still had the bowl of goldfish crackers. So he set it down and he said, Patrick, do this and leave them there. So Patrick did. And Rasul took the bowl of goldfish crackers and he said, body of Christ for you. Thank you. What's your name? Jamie. And Patrick looked at Rasul as stunned as Jamie's looking at me. (laughs) Thank you very much. And the room was silent. The whole room was waiting to see if a Roman Catholic Archbishop would take goldfish cracker communion from a (laughs) three-year-old. And Patrick took the cracker and he said, Truly today I receive the body of Christ and he ate it. And Rasul went around the room and gave goldfish cracker communion to every Lutheran and Baptist and Presbyterian and Quaker and Methodist in the room and every single one of them ate it. The Great Commission has some something in common with communion. That word com, with. The great commission says that we are with God in mission. Commission, mission Co-mission. We don't go on mission without God with us, or if we do, we fail. When we take communion... It brings us into unity in Christ despite our differences, not because of them. On this day, we remember in the taking of communion that there is far more that unites us than divides us. And right now as a United Methodist Church, with all of the division, we need that more than ever just to remember that no matter what happens in 2020, we are one body throughout the world with Christians of all flavors, all varieties, all skin tones, all persuasions, all languages, one body in Christ.